Hello and welcome to Let's Talk with Bishop R.C. Blakes. R.C. is an author, empowerment teacher, and the proud pastor of the New Home Ministries of New Orleans, Louisiana, and Houston, Texas. His message circles the globe. His conversational and candid approach to challenging content makes him a relevant voice to all generations. Get ready for a life-changing transformational conversation. Hello, hello, hello. This is R.C. Blakes, and you know I'm always excited to be able to talk with you. Always excited and, you know, privileged and honored to be able to share with so many of you. I would love for you to invite someone to come in and to be a part of this conversation. Uh, if, you're, if you're watching by way of YouTube Live, you know, copy the link, share it to your friends, uh, text message, put it on your Facebook pages, what have you. If you're listening by way of uh, K107.1 FM in New Orleans, call somebody and tell them to tune us in. Uh, this is Let's Talk with R.C. Blakes. Uh, if you're watching or listening rather by way of my podcast on iTunes, share it, copy the link and share it to your, your social media page. But I have something I want to deal with tonight and I was struggling with, um, really struggling with how to um, label this, how to um, term it, you know, what, what should the topic be, but I couldn't really come up with anything catchy, but in a nutshell, I'm talking about four things, at least these four things that uh, you must address to make certain that you are actually healthy enough to even think about a new relationship. Four things that you must really address process, work your way through to determine whether or not you're actually healthy enough for a new relationship. And the reason I think that this uh, subject matter is so important and so necessary is because I see so many people who are um, serial daters you know, they're, they're just serial relationship or situationship makers. You know, you're, you're, you're heartbroken on um, Facebook this week. Somebody, you know, broke your heart, crushed you. And then two weeks later, you know, you, you have the, the new love of your life. You're ready to marry somebody again and all of this kind of thing. And um, it's ridiculous, really. And all you're doing is, to be quite honest with you, you are, you're not healing, you're not processing, and the reason you have a long menu of failed relationships is because you failed to do or to address some or all of these four things that we're going to talk about today. You know, when you are when you are toxic within yourself, when you're toxic to yourself, what makes you think that you're going to attract anything but toxic? When you're toxic within yourself and to yourself, uh, the best you'll do is take a good person and um, you'll ruin them with your own personal issues and toxicity. So many people cannot develop uh, a relationship because they're actually not healthy enough to attract a good person that would be suitable for them. And if they were to somehow miraculous, miraculously attract a person that would be good for them or suitable for them, you're not healthy enough to nurture that relationship. Because you have to remember that a relationship is work. It's not, it's not what you 
It's not what you hear about in the R&B songs. It's not what you see on the movie screens. Relationships are about more than sex and, and beautiful looks. Relationships are about a whole lot of work. And the only way to do the kind of work that a relationship would require is to be healthy enough to actually dig in and do that work. So I say to you, as I say to, you know, I guess millions of people around the world, when you factor in technology, develop the relationship with yourself first. Get to know you, you know what I mean? Really get to know you, uh, come to like you, and come to a place where you are actually enough for you. That you don't need anybody else outside of you to feel happy, to feel fulfilled. That's when you're really at a place of wholeness and health that you can really actually think about engaging a relationship with someone else. But it begins with the relationship that you develop with yourself. So four things, and all of them are T's. Number one, four things you have to process and deal with. Number one is your trauma. Number one is your trauma. Now, here's a very sad, but at the same time, very true statement. And I'll say this before I say that. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a professional counselor. I'm no mental health professional at all. I'm just a man. And I'm a pastor that has lived a little life dealt with a lot of people and come to understand certain things. But trauma, here's the, here's the sad but true statement. Most of the people you will meet in life, if not all of the people most of us will meet in life, have experienced some level of trauma. Even people like myself who have uh, a great testimony, you know what I mean? Um, I had my mother and my father intact. I had a healthy mother and a healthy father. I love them, they love me. I have a wonderful sibling, wonderful brother and all of that kind of thing. Even somebody that comes from that kind of background, I still have horror stories that I can tell and some I still have not told. Because trauma has a unique ability, almost like water, to find its way into our lives, even when our lives seem to be trauma-proof. So those of you that are bouncing around, acting as though your life has just been perfect and you don't have any issues, you have some issues. Now, a loose definition of trauma is that it is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Tell me you haven't gone through something deeply distressing or disturbing. Now, here's the reality. Most of us, or a lot of us, should I say, I believe, go through these experiences of deep distress and disturbance, and we kind of sweep it under the rug and we never deal with it. So this stuff lives within us and we don't realize it, but we're carrying this stuff. It's almost like uh, the coronavirus. You have those who are asymptomatic. They don't have any symptoms that show up on the outside, but yet they're carrying this virus. They don't realize they have it. And the people that they're around don't realize they're sick but they're actually infecting other people because they're carrying this virus. Well, a lot of the people you know in life are carrying trauma and they're transporting this trauma into relationships and they're making other people sick. 
And sometimes I'm the cause of the issues we're having in the relationship. And I don't even realize it because it's my unprocessed, unrecognized trauma that I fail to acknowledge that's working beneath the surface sabotaging everything that's good or would be good in my life, especially when it comes down to relationships. Sometimes it's this unprocessed trauma that's creating this, this, this height, heightened sense of anxiety that a lot of us feel. Well, we, we have these panic attacks that come upon us and we don't know where it comes from. You see, trauma, you have to understand this, trauma transcends the typical events we normally ascribe to trauma. You know, things like physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal abuse or emotional abuse or, you know, things like that. But there, there are everyday events that are impacting our hearts and emotional health that we look over. This is where the value of a therapist, a good one, or a, a, a good licensed professional counselor or a psychologist comes into play. These people are skilled. This is why people like myself who may share life experiences with you, we should always make you know that we're not, you know, licensed uh, or we're not professional mental health care individuals because these people are skilled not only at highlighting or, you know, dealing with issues that may cause problems, but they're skilled at something else. They're skilled at helping you to comb through the events of your life and to finally find the one or two or three events that have served as the root of your present day issues. Because there are every day what seems to be normal issues that are impacting our hearts and our emotional health that we're looking over. We're just kind of sweeping under the rug. Sometimes, um, you know, just just giving you some examples, sometimes it's the it's the series of disappointments that we um, we learn to just kind of shake it off and shrug it off like. That didn't hurt. That didn't hurt. It doesn't matter. And we're, our hearts are constantly broken. We're constantly disappointed. But we put on that tough face because maybe we were raised in a, in a, in a climate, a culture, or a family that says be strong. And being strong means never acknowledge that you feel. So you ignore your feelings. And the thing about feelings in the physical sense is that Feelings come in the physical sense to let you know that something is wrong, something is broken, something is out of order, and it needs attention. Well, you can transfer that same principle to the emotional aspect. If something hurts you emotionally, it is an indication that something is wrong, something is broken, something needs your attention. It's not to be shrugged off and shake it off and ignore it and, and be the tough man, be the tough girl. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 12, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. When, when you have experienced one disappointment after another, after another, after another, and I know, you know, you, 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 you take pride in playing or, you know, shaking it off and being tough. But here's the reality. Your heart is broken. And because no one's given you permission to acknowledge the fact that my heart really is broken behind all of the disappointments I've had in my life. You don't know how to give yourself permission. And so you're carrying all of this hurt and pain, and you're wondering why you feel like people are abandoning you. And a lot of times the reality is that people are just not equipped to actually deal with you. And it's not that you're a bad person. It's just that you're broken. You don't realize it. And 
you've not acknowledged it, so you've not processed it. Sometimes, you know, it's the weight of just sheer responsibility, feeling like I'm responsible. You know how many of us that are present here now, if you're watching this live or if you're watching this at some later date, you know how many of us are traumatized because we feel like we're responsible for everything? You, you, you're taking on the responsibilities of full grown, able-bodied people as though they are your own. And this has done what to you? This has broken you. This has weighed your life down. This has preoccupied your life with everybody else's concerns, but your own. And you've never, you have never acknowledged that this is abuse, self-abuse, community abuse, and this is trauma. That, that you can't even put your head on the pillow at night without thinking about what is really somebody else's business. You can't even take care of your own business because everybody else is heaping, heaping theirs upon you. Just the, just the weight of responsibility. Jesus kind of went through this in, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he would go to Calvary. It says in Matthew 26, 36 through 38 in the Message Bible version, it says like this. Then Jesus went with them to a garden called Gethsemane and told his disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow, thinking about the amazing, the tremendous responsibility that he had, you know, just around the corner of having to die for the sins of the world. Then he said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. That's even Jesus talking about how the weight of responsibility was traumatizing. He literally went as far as saying, it's crushing my life out. This is this is killing me on certain levels. So there are issues that are traumatizing that are happening on a daily basis that you've not acknowledged, we've not acknowledged. And these things are factoring into your overall health in terms of being able to relate relationally or connect relationally. You know, and then you have the obvious things, you know, the, the obvious, some of the obvious issues that you've not processed and you've, you've experienced these things in toxic relationships gone by, but you never stopped to actually heal from those or, or these things because in your, in your broken consciousness, you believe that your value is directly, directly linked to your relational status. So the way you get over the heartbreak of one relationship is to quickly slide into another. And so you never really take the time because it takes time to heal. It takes time. You can't, you can't be out of a relationship this year and then in another relationship uh, six months from now and think that you've written, especially if that relationship, that previous relationship was traumatic. Really, I'm looking at you sideways if you're even trying to bring somebody serious into your life after a year. You, you have stuff you haven't dealt with, stuff like abandonment. And what do what is the tendency of people who... Um, you know, have been abandoned by a certain individual. The tendency is to, the way I get over this abandonment is to find somebody that will accept me. And here's the sad reality. You're not even vetting the individual. You don't even really have standards for the person. You just want somebody to accept you so that you can feel like you are um, easing the pain of the abandonment. Some of you have gone through ghosting where somebody came into your life and they just kind of disappeared. You don't know what happened. You know, um, others of you are dealing with gaslighting. You're dealing with somebody 
who is intentionally trying to make you believe or intentionally try to make you believe that you were crazy. You have all of this stuff in your um, in your history. And yet you have not taken the time to stop and to acknowledge and address your trauma. And you're trying to figure out, well, why is it that I can't seem to make any relationship work? Why, why does everybody leave me? It's not always that they're leaving you. It may be that they're not equipped to deal with you because some of the issues you have to deal with, it has to start within you. There's no external fix. When I was a child growing up in an area called Holly Grove, which was was the ghetto. Um, you know, my mother and my grandmother, there's this thing in the United States called VIX, V-I-C-K-S, salve, S-A-L-V-E. And it didn't matter what was wrong with you. Cold, stomach ache, rub some Vic salve on it. Rub, broke, out, broke an arm, you be good, rub some Vic salve on it. You know, then I grew up and understood that there are some things that go on internally that cannot be fixed with a topical solution. And there are issues that you're dealing with that will not be fixed with any, any topical solution like another man or another woman. The key is to become aware of your own historic trauma. What have you gone through? What, what have you gone through? What has it been in your life that has broken your heart? Have you ever sat down to really ask yourself that question? Most of you have not. You know why? You don't want to feel you don't want to feel. We have been conditioned not to feel. Even when you go to the doctor, before the doctor starts sending you for MRIs or x-rays or whatever, the doctor will um, you know, engage certain parts of your anatomy and ask you, now how do you feel? Because the feelings are clues to deeper issues. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31, it says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now, there's a, there's a principle that I'm pulling from this text. I'm not, I'm not dealing with this text contextually, but there's a principle that I'm pulling from it. We must all have a system of investigating our own hearts and lives, not only our sins, but we should be able to discern our pain and, and, and give ourselves the grace to be able to say, yes, I dealt with that. Yes, I went through that. Wow. Because to judge equals to distinguish, to discern clearly, to note accurately, to make a just estimate of ourselves. While we're around here, all this grinning and trying to make everybody think, and I'm just, you know, I just had the perfect life and I'm, I'm perfectly healthy. The reality is that you're perfectly, you're not. You're perfectly not healthy. And you've, not, you've never taken the time. You've been so busy trying to, to feel this false esteem that you get from jumping you know, out of one bed into another, from the arms of one man to another man, that you've not taken the time to really look back over your life and really take an analysis of all that you've gone through. And so because you've not done that, You've never engaged the process of healing. And listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 28 and 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Again, there's a principle. If you cover something, you will not prosper in that area. If you cover your trauma and you fail to deal with it, 
you will not prosper. Now here's the here's the here's the 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 kicker about trauma. Trauma transfers. Like I, I listen to um, a lot of people, content creators, people on mainstream television shows, radio shows, and you can see, you can hear the trauma transferring through their rhetoric, through their language. They really don't need judgment. They need prayer. They need, they need um, you know, empathy, really, because I can hear the trauma. I hear the broken little boy coming out of this man's mouth, or I hear the broken little girl coming out of this woman's mouth. Because trauma transfers. When you don't process trauma, you simply transfer that trauma. The Bible says you got to get rid of every root of bitterness because it'll spring up and trouble you and thereby many be defiled. See, if I'm sitting here and I have a heart filled with trauma and pain and, and you all are constantly listening to me, what's going on? I'm transferring that trauma Now, um, trauma doesn't only transfer, but trauma informs. Trauma informs. Trauma's like, um, it's like a news reporter. You know, it may be fake news, but it's, it's your source of news. In my opinion, there are very few video sources or television sources of news where you can really get the news. It's really just entertainment. Choose your brand, you know. But it's like, so trauma's like a, 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 you know, a fake news brand. And it, it, it informs, it informs your self-view. Your trauma will have you believing that you are um, a slave when you're really a queen. It, it informs your perspective of others. The way you see yourself is the way you're going to view everybody else. And in terms of how they look at you, this is why you have to deal with this trauma, because there are some of you that have been in settings with people who really were intrigued by you. But because you have such a poor view of yourself, because that's the information your trauma is feeding your soul, you, you looked at the other people or person like you imagine them seeing you like you see yourself. And so your energy shifted. You see, when, when you start finding, you know, one relationship after another, people start out extremely interested in you and then they just kind of fall off. You may need to you may need, may need to look in your, you know, look in your history and see. And you probably don't have to go very far to see that you have some trauma that's not been processed. And now this trauma is is informing and tr it's, it's transferring. It, your trauma informs your self-view, your perspective of, of others. And it also, watch this, it informs or in, it informs or infects your capacity, affects your capacity for intimacy. You see, most people are jumping in and out of relationships for a couple of things that don't amount to intimacy. One, self-identity. You lack, you lack a sense of it apart from anybody. Sexual fulfillment. Because sex makes you feel like you're being loved. And neither is true. You cannot get your identity from connecting to another person. And sex does not mean that you are loved. And so trauma, when you're living from a, a platform of trauma, trauma ruins your capacity for intimacy because intimacy requires seeing others as well as being whole enough to be seen by others, which means you have to have a capacity for what? Transparency, vulnerability, Trauma will never allow you to be vulnerable. It will always make you hide. And so you may, you may develop a connection, but you'll never really be able to develop a relationship of intimacy because to be intimate means you have to 
be able to see into another and you have to be open enough for others to see into you. If you never process your trauma, you will never be able to formulate a relationship of intimacy. Now, I love something that I heard Jack Canfield say, you know, the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Love something I heard him say in an interview. He he talked about a formula. Um, really, I think he was he was likening it to a. Uh, a success formula, and he, he called it E plus R equals O. And what does that stand for? E plus R equals O. Events in our lives plus our response to those events equals outcomes. People who are consistently getting great relational outcomes or out, great outcomes in any particular area of life are people that many times have had the same kind of events that other people have had who are not getting those outcomes. Sometimes the events in their lives were even more horrific, but the aura was different. The response. You see, when you're, when you are living from a place of trauma, your response to events that happen, you know, events that will happen in all of our lives is usually a response of victimization. It's usually a response of hopelessness. And so you always get the what? Same outcomes. If you want to change your outcomes, see, you have to change the aura. You have to change your response. You can't change the response until you deal with the trauma that comes from the events. I hope this is making sense. Now, Canfield also said in that same interview that unprocessed, and I'm paraphrasing him here, unprocessed trauma creates a few reactions. Fight, flight, or freeze. When, when you have trauma that you have not dealt with, you either have a mindset to fight, to flight, run, your runner, or to freeze, to get stuck. But he then went on to say, if you process your trauma, you'll be able to flow. Fight, flight, freeze, but when you process the trauma, you'll be able to flow. Like, like the surfer that's riding the wave. It doesn't take him or her under, it doesn't drown them or kill them because they're able, they're able to flow. When you've processed the trauma, you'll be able to flow. In Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, it says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He says, don't get stuck in the old stuff. You know, he says, behold, open your eyes, see something. I'm getting ready to do a new thing. He says, shall ye not know it? Are you going to miss it? Get, get, your, get your emotional and your spiritual life in position because I'm getting ready to do a new thing. Flow with it. No fight, no flight, no freeze, but flow with it. The second thing, and I'm taking too long. Good God Almighty. The second thing are triggers. You got to deal with these things. You got to deal with your trauma. Then you have to, deal, you have to begin to deal with your triggers. Triggers, um, a trigger or a trauma rapper, a trauma trigger is a psychological stimulus that prompts recall of a previous traumatic experience. You know, if, um, if, the person that broke into your car, broke into your home, 
had on a, had a certain scent that they wore. Now when you smell that scent, emotionally, psychologically, it triggers anxiety in you because it brings you back to a negative point in your past. The stimulus itself need not be frightening or traumatic and may be only indirectly or superficially reminiscent of an earlier traumatic incident, such as a scent or a piece of clothing. I remember when my father died, my father's, we're going on nine years that my father's passed. Um, the most traumatic event of my life to this point. Yeah, the most traumatic event of my life. And, um, you know, my father and I were very, 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 very close. And so I, I dealt with grief um, inwardly because I was, you know, I had I have great leadership responsibilities. And so I had to step into his role and, and you know, a lot of people. So I had to grieve in, in spurts, you know. And in the city of New Orleans, well, this was, would actually be in the city of Metairie, a little suburb outside of New Orleans, there's this particular restaurant that my father uh, went to every day, sometimes twice a day. And when I needed to, when I wanted to find him, I knew to go there between these hours and I knew my father would be there and we would sit and talk and laugh and whatever. Well, when he died, that restaurant, though I had been going there all of my life from a little kid, that restaurant, just the sight of that restaurant became a trigger for me. It triggered um, immense grief. You know, I just, I couldn't pass by it without just feeling like I'm reliving the death of my father all over again. And I don't know why there are a million locations that my father, you know, I would associate with my father, but that particular place would just trigger me. So I avoided going there. But one day I said, man, I have to stop running from this. You know, I love the restaurant. I love the people in there and they love my family. And so I decided to go into the restaurant and I went in and I sat at his table and everybody was glad to see me because it had been some years since I had gone there. And everybody was glad to see me and I sat at his table and all that took picture there sitting at his table. And lo and behold, um, probably a month later, they tore the restaurant down. And that almost, that kind of saddened me. But my point is, that restaurant, though it was guiltless, became a trigger for a hurtful event in my life. But I realized that this trigger was the indication that there was some trauma that I still needed to deal with. And when I went into that restaurant and sat down in his chair, I processed all of that pent up grief and I released it. You have some triggers. Triggers are the residue of trauma. Triggers create the silent war within that nobody else in the room knows that you're waging. Triggers create reactions that are never, or should I say, seldom understood by anyone else. Triggers make you say things. Triggers make you angry and run people out of your life and they don't have a clue why you're behaving the way you're behaving. Triggers are usually our triggers that we've never disengaged are usually the reason that great people often exit our lives. Triggers. And listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10. Three through five, it says, for though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we're not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses in the King James. It calls it strongholds. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Triggers are in your mind. 
triggers are in your mind. You know, when I um, initially and I learned, I learned to to you know, to understand and to be empathetic. Um, when I first started going public with teaching women in particularly about, you know, just the ways of queens, um, there would be certain things that I would address like, um, you know, like how men take advantage of women and, and the, the standards of women should be here, should be there, so forth and so on. And I would have women from time to time say, well, you know, I love your, I love your, I love your conversation. I love your content, but there's a certain part of it that just triggers me. And I didn't understand what that meant. I'm like, what do you mean trigger you? But then as I began to dig a little deeper, I began to understand what triggers are. Then I began to realize that I have my own triggers. You know what I'm saying? And this works on all levels of, of life. You know, you have, you have things that can happen that can trigger a physiological reaction in you. You know, um, y'all get the message, but you have triggers in your life that are the offspring of your trauma that you have not disengaged because you can't disengage the trigger until you process the trauma. Just like I had to go and face that restaurant, sit at a table where my old man used to sit and I had to, I had to deal with it. It was just a matter really of going in there and facing it, finally facing it. And when, when I went in there and faced it, I overcame it. When I went back intentionally to go into the restaurant the next time to actually eat, they had torn the place down. That place had been there just about all of my life. I was glad that I had really gotten a chance to go there and to do that, because right now, who, who knows? I might still be triggered just by passing by the spot of ground that it was on. Well, you have, how, many, how much more do you have triggers that stem from, you know, the fact that you didn't have a father? And so you're triggered by, uh, you know, just the idea of a man that says, I got you, and it's nothing but words. You're triggered by that and you're triggered to to respond favorably to this individual when it's nothing but words. You, you have to you have to process the trauma. You have to disengage the trigger. Take the, the spring out of the trigger. OK, here's the third thing. My time is gone. I only have four things. Trust. You're trying, to, you're trying to formulate a relationship where you've not processed your trauma, you still have triggers that set you off every half hour, it's something else setting you off, and people not understanding exactly what it is you're dealing with or what it is you're going through. And then the third thing is because you've not processed the trauma, because you've not disengaged the triggers, you can't really trust. The sad conundrum is that you sincerely want a relationship, but you don't trust anyone. And the, watch this. The, the, the thing that should really resonate with you is that you know you don't trust anyone, but you want somebody so bad. The mere fact that you don't trust anyone and you want someone so bad should be an indication to you that there's some work I need to do on me. That a relationship is not the most important thing in my life right now. I, I don't trust anybody, but I want somebody so bad. You see, trust is the capacity to risk letting another person in. See, 
Just because you let them into your bed doesn't mean that you've let them in. Just because you've let them into your, your wallet doesn't mean that you've let them in. You're letting them into the bed and into your, your wallet because you're hoping that those things, those superficial things will lead to them bringing some kind of healing to your heart. And the only person that can bring healing to your heart is God and you have to allow him. It's an inside job. Your, your capacity to trust is the truest indication of your emotional health. Trauma and triggers will always limit your ability to trust. But there is never a relationship where there is no trust. Because where there is no trust, there cannot be authentic love. And I'm pausing because I need you to think about what I'm saying to you. Where, where there is no trust, there cannot be authentic love. And here you are, you're trying to, you, you haven't trusted anybody since you was 12 years old. Here you are, you're 30 years old now, and you've been in all of these relationships and knowing in your heart that you don't even have the capacity to trust anybody, but somehow you believe that you have a foundation for a relationship with somebody because they look good, they smell good, they, they're your type, they. You haven't, you haven't processed your trauma, you have not disengaged your triggers, and you have not healed enough to trust. What makes you believe that you are at all ready for a relationship? That you're ready to intermingle your life emotionally, spiritually, physically with someone else and you know in your heart you don't have the capacity to trust. Your heart has been broken and not healed and you lack the fundamental capacity to trust. What makes you believe that? <sighs> and then finally is truth. We move from trauma to triggers, to trust, to truth. Now truth, when I, when I talk about truth, this is being able to recognize, articulate, and be content with who you are in any given moment. You are, you are a person that is now living in your truth. If you're not if you're not living in your truth, you're not you're not healthy enough for a relationship. Chill out on that. You're not ready. Now, how do you how do you did, you know, determine or detect this? Well, if you're going around here putting on false fronts to try to impress certain people that you are something you know you're not. You're not in your truth. If if if. People are on something that you know you don't agree with and you know you're acting like you agree with it. You're not in your truth. People can talk you out of uh, what should have been um, a non-negotiable for you. You're not in your truth. And see, I was I was sharing this, I think, in, in one of our more recent conversations um, when you're not in your truth, you're giving off false energy. And so you're attracting everything but what really um, suits you. You know, if, 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 if I'm walking, <laughs> um, I started using the illustration, but everybody's so sensitive these days, I won't use that. But if I'm behaving a certain kind of way, 
that attracts a certain kind of attention. And then I get angry because I'm attracting that attention. Well, it's not the people that are coming at me. It's the energy I'm putting out that is the consequence of the false projections. If I were if I were really living in my truth, I would be what projecting my true energy, which would attract people that would match that energy. A lot of you can't seem to find the right man because the 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 authentic you has not shown up in the world yet. I'll say it again. A lot of you have not been able to attract the right man because the authentic you has not shown up in the world yet. Every day you go out, you, you're not you're not yourself. You're not even dressing the way you really want to dress. What you're wearing is just trendy. It's what you see, you know, the people on the TV or the magazines wear. You don't even like that stuff. You're not even comfortable in that stuff. You're not even comfortable in that stuff. We can tell by the way you're moving around in it. Them shoes you're trying to wear, they don't, they, those shoes are tearing your feet up. Those shoes don't even feel good. But you, you, you're, you're, not, you're not being authentic because the world says for you to get the response you want to get, this is what you need to be. So you're not in your truth. And you are, you are emotionally malleable like that because you have unprocessed trauma that makes you feel inferior. You're not able to step to the plate and to really know who you actually are because the world around you is saying, if you wanna be accepted, if you wanna be valued, this is what you got to be. So you, you, you've not stepped into your truth. See, when you step into your truth, Lisa sent me a picture the other day and man, you know, I knew it. I knew that I had really gotten big at times in my life. Um, but this, I was huge on this picture, man. I knew I had to be pushing 300 pounds on this picture. But you know, I ever, when I would gain weight to that extent, I would want to lose weight because, you know, I wasn't comfortable with, 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 with all of that weight. Or I just didn't want to feel health crisis moving, you know, getting older. It was never like, I need to lose weight so I can be accepted by the world. I never cared what people thought about me. I showed up 300 pounds or not. I, when I showed up, I behaved like the man is here. And that's the way I've always felt. Because, you know, I, I've always, for the most part, lived in my truth. I've never really felt the need, you know, once I grew up a little bit matured, never felt the need to be approved of, affirmed by anybody outside of God and myself and the people that I love most, you know, making certain that I'm doing my job right towards them. But how few of us actually show up in our truth? Because the only way to show up in your truth is to be emotionally healthy, which means that you, 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 you have to Deal with that trauma. You got to stop running from it. You got to stop worrying about what people are going to think about it and all of that kind of thing. You got you have to recognize your triggers, disengage your triggers intentionally. Am I helping anybody here? You got to you have to begin to exercise your trust muscle. Stop running from people every time trust is a requirement. You go, you, you, you'll never be able to develop a relationship apart from trust. So let me just add this on the trust piece. You trust people like you invest money. You never invest more money than you can afford to lose. Your risk tolerance, only you know that. Never trust people beyond the point that, you know, if they, if they go south, I'm good. And then they prove to be true that trust them a little more and then trust in increments. But then you gotta, you gotta live in your, you gotta live your truth. You gotta be, you gotta be you. You gotta be you. You gotta be you. Somebody asked me, said, well, RC, why you, why do you put the camera so close up to you like that? It's because I want people to see me. I don't care nothing about some days y'all see me, all this will be great. When I have time, I'll black it out because that's the way I want it. Sometimes I have blemishes in my face. 
because sometimes I struggle with acne. I don't care nothing about that. Sometimes my eyes are tired. You know, I don't care. Eyes are red. I care nothing about that. I walk and live in my truth. This is, this is not a fashion show. I don't care what you think about how I look. I want you to hear this message. I live in my truth. And that's where you got to get to. Listen to what the Bible says in uh, Psalms 1, 1 through 3. It says, blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, following their advice and example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers or ridiculers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Bible, the word of God, the revelation of God. And on his law, uh, his precepts and teachings, he habitually meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted and fed by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And in whatsoever he does, he prospers and comes to maturity. When you live in your truth, the voices of all of this stuff, this noise, no longer matter. You're informed by your heavenly father and creator from within. And you walk and you live in your truth. And anybody that does not agree with your truth were never designed to go into your future. And when you deal with these four things... Your trauma triggers trust and your truth. Now you've positioned yourself to be healthy and strong enough to make for a dynamic relationship. This is what, this is some of what it means to be whole. This is some of what it means to be whole. Let me see if I can give you an illustration Hold on. Here we go. Now here are a pair of shoes. Watch this. Hold. See, this is um, this is a right shoe. Correct. This is um, a left shoe. Now. This is a whole right shoe and its distinct purpose without this shoe is to be a left shoe or a right shoe. Get my sides confused. Be a right shoe. Now, this is a whole left shoe. Its distinct purpose, separate and apart from this shoe, is to be a whole left shoe. They're both whole and complete, right? This is defined within itself. We know that these two are a pair because they are suitable. They match. Come on now. But before you could make a pair of them, they each had to go through the individual process of becoming individually whole. And now when you bring them together, one does not need the other to define it. But when you bring the right shoe to the left shoe, they become something together they would have never been apart. They're individuals, but when you put them together, they become a pair. But before they can be a pair, this shoe has to be whole and complete. This shoe has to be whole and complete. Put them in the box. Sell it for what you need to sell it for. Because now you have a pair. This is the work you need to do before you try to pair. Hope you got something out of this. Father, we thank you today for this time. In Jesus' name, my prayer is that you would cause the revelation of this truth to bring healing to every heart. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you for sewing into me and Lisa's lives. Don't forget to look in the description link for those of you that need counseling. We've partnered with BetterHelp Counseling. If you use the link, it'll afford you 10% off of the cost of counseling and they in turn will sew into the ministry a referral fee. Go to rcblakes.com, sign up for my mailing list, uh, and while you're there, check out all of the online programs and go to Amazon, you know, check out all of my books and what have you. And just know that Lisa and I love you and we thank God for you. And uh, as we always say here, we'll say to you, you're on top and you're going higher. God has more in store for you. So guess what? We will see you at the top. But before you leave today, before you before you cut this thing off, I need you to give me a thumbs up to help this message to trend so that more people can hear it and see it. I love you. God bless you. Until next time. We here at R.C. Blake's Ministries want to thank you for spending this time with us today. R.C. and Lisa are always honored to have you with us. Don't forget to reach out to us by visiting our website at www.rcblakes.com. While you're there, you may join our mailing list and receive a free download of the Laws of Manifesting Your Vision by R.C. Blakes. Also look at all of the online programs by R.C. You may find all books written by R.C. and Lisa. Once again, all of us here at R.C. Blake's Ministries want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And as we always say, see you at the top. Hello, hello, hello. This is R.C. Blake's. And I have a very, very special opportunity that I want to uh, make known to you. There's this thing that God has given me. It's the it's next level uh, ministry. It's called the Mordecai Mission. It's exclusively for women. Uh, and it's a group mentoring program that's limited to a select number of women because it's very personal. And I make myself personally available to this group for 12 weeks. Each week we will meet by Zoom and our meetings are usually about two hours, inclusive of uh, my teachings and uh, the Q&A. We send out uh, binders for you to keep all of, the, all of the, the lessons that we will teach over the 12 weeks. Uh, there are worksheets for you to follow along with me. We have team members on the Zoom. If you miss something, They'll help you to uh, get the information that you need. And at the end of the 12 weeks, you'll have everything we talked about in the Mordecai binder. Now, the, the program is broken up into three sections. Inner healing, self-discovery, self-development. It's the Mordecai mission. I call it the Mordecai mission because Queen Esther was really the cousin to Mordecai. Esther didn't have the benefit of a father. So Mordecai had to uh, step in and become the parental or the paternal substitute for Esther. He trained her and he raised her up. And you know the story. She went on to walk and to live out, to actualize her queendom. And Mordecai was her teacher. So I view myself as the Mordecai in the lives of the women that have been a part of the Mordecai mission. And I'm inviting you to be a part of it if this is something that you're ready for. This is not for everyone. You know, some people get enough just from YouTube, social media, Sunday sermons. But then there's that woman that says, no, I need to dig deeper. I need more access. I need to be able to ask questions. If that's you, I want you to check it out today. Now, seats are very, 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 very limited. I can only take so many because this is a very personal, up close, I'm available to you type meeting. We're not on a clock. I'm, I'm sitting there from week to week, session to session, and I'm answering all of the questions and I'm pouring out of my heart. 
So I would love to see you in the next Mordecai mission if this works for you. God bless you. I love you. And Lisa and I would love to see you in the Mordecai mission.